God's grace to you and his peace and his love from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Greetings one and all. It's a, a privilege and an honor to be here before you. Thank you for Pastor Feeney for the invitation. We keep him and his wife in our prayers and all those traveling throughout Germany this time. Greetings also from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. Uh, you have one of our vicars, and uh, being the vicarage director, uh, I should ask you, how's he doing? <laughs> in a few weeks or so, I'll get to meet with uh, Vicar Debner and uh, go over uh, what happened with him and uh, all his experiences here at Advent. And uh, yes, I'm the one, I get to pass him or fail him. That is my job, so, so I look forward to doing that. Whatever way. <laughs> I'm sure he's doing fine. Today, this is the month of June. Uh, you know what happens in the month of June. This happens more in this month than any other month uh, in, the, in the year. You know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you even uh, got married in the month of June. More people get married in this month than, than any other month, probably because the weather is really, really nice. And people out of school and things are winding down and vacations have started. You've heard of the term June bride. I don't know what you think about weddings, but I've done enough of them. I've, I've estimated in 26 years, maybe I've done close to 100 weddings myself. They are truly, truly joyous occasions. Rather, they should be joyous occasions. Now, the pastor has a unique perspective in weddings. Not only does he get to know the couple more intimately through the counseling process, but he's also with them during the rehearsal and sometimes the rehearsal dinner, and he's with them prior to the wedding, and of course during and after the wedding, the pastor has an in on all the happenings of the wedding. But it all seems to culminate in, in what is about a half an hour to 45 minutes of the ceremony itself, the worship service. There's a lot of ceremony, a lot of ritual that goes on in the wedding service. Now, I can speak firsthand that what I like to observe is, is faces. I like to look at people's faces during the wedding. More often than not, the groom is, yeah, a little bit nervous. The bride, they say, is glowing because, well, it's her day, a day she has been preparing for, for most of her life, and the day has arrived. I, however, like to look at the faces of the grandparents. They are the ones who are glowing. They see their offspring's offspring now joining in union as husband and wife as the generations move forward. And the generations go on. They are the ones relaxed. They are happy. They have seen, as God has blessed them, the fruits of their labors being extended. I love to look at the grandparents. Now, the father, on the other hand, can be a bundle of nerves. You see, it's the father who gives the bride away. And on this Father's Day, we remember 
the opportunities and the blessings and joys that fathers can have to give away their little girl. I've had the joy of doing it twice for my two daughters. I don't know the emotions that run through fathers' minds, but they are married, uh, varied in many. It's good that she is marrying. It's good that God has blessed her with a husband, but it's also something that I have to give up and give away my little girl. I'm not so sure about that. So fathers walk down the aisle with their daughters, and then there's the great handoff, the giving of the arms, and the bridegroom comes and takes his bride to be with him. Who gives this bride to this man? And usually he says, his mother and I do. And then he fades to the background, he steps backwards, and then he takes his place, because now a great shift has occurred. This is the joy of a wedding. The focus, however, needs to always be on Jesus Christ. Pastors, I know, always remind the couples of this. Your, your ceremony is a worship service. You are there to focus your attention on Jesus Christ, on what He has done for you, on His forgiveness, on His bloody sacrifice on the cross for your sins. Remember, 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 He is the focus, as much as we would like to focus on other things, the bride's dress or what the ladies are wearing, or other things that can distract us. One fellow is the best man. Now, the best man back in biblical times had a greater role than they do today. The best man used to arrange for everything. He, he was the go-to guy. He, he worked for weeks and months preparing for the great and grand Jewish weddings. He was called the best friend of the groom. We call him the best man. Nowadays, the best man is uh, supposed to get his tux and carry the ring and then make a funny speech later at the reception and his job is over. It is great joy to be a part of a wedding. I don't know if you saw the wedding analogy in the gospel reading for today. If you could see that. If you could see how John the baptizer captured the joy of his ministry in a few short sentences, a few short words. We are reminded in the Gospel of John that John brings up John the Baptist's name again. He hasn't quite been taken away out of the scene yet. John arrives on the scene after 400 years as really the last Old Testament prophet in the bridge between the promise of the Messiah announcing, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus calls John the greatest man who ever lived. Now there was a pastor. I would say he was the greatest pastor that ever lived. Why is that? 
he never drew attention to himself. He always focused people's attention on Jesus Christ. Now that is the job of a pastor. Keep the people's attention focused on Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Well, in our text, we see that that John's ministry is beginning to wane. Now Jesus is beginning to take over. John's and his disciples are baptizing, and then over here in a different area, Jesus' disciples are also now baptizing. A question of purification comes up. Why is he doing this? Why are people leaving you, John, and why are people going over there? And some of John's disciples started to see that, that John, his man, was losing popularity, and they're going over to this man over here, Jesus Christ. Now, the temptation to John would be to join in and say, yes, I'm losing my ministry. I am becoming envious. I am becoming jealous. That should not happen. But yet John the pastor says, but that my joy might be complete and your joy might be complete, he must increase and I must increase decrease. I love those words. The joy of John the Baptist and of every pastor and really of every Christian is to announce that Jesus is becoming attached to His bride, the church, and His bride is becoming attached to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. To know Him To believe in Him, to trust in Him, and to hear His voice. That is the joy of the ministry. And so Jesus is here. Now John is proclaiming that. There He is, the Lamb of God. He is here. It's time to step aside. He must increase, I must decrease. So John here refers to himself as the friend of the groom. You could say, well, he is the best man. However, another analogy could be that he also represents the modern-day father. It is the father who is giving away the bride. John is giving away the bride to the bridegroom. He finds great joy in doing this. Well, he's losing his congregation. And he's happy about it. He must fade away. There's no option. Like the luster of the star is lost in the glow of the morning sun. The old covenant must fade away so that the new covenant can come. My friends, my question to you today is where do you find your joy? Now notice I did not mention the word happiness. It's part of the American way, the pursuit of happiness. But my question always is why do you ever want to settle for happiness? Happiness is fleeting. 
and you never can find happiness. The Bible doesn't speak of happiness. It speaks, rather, of joy. Where is it that you find your joy? This word must, he must increase, I must decrease, that word is found three times in the Gospel of John. And here where we find our true and great joy. In chapter 3, verse 14, the word is used. First, as Moses lifted up the servant in the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Here, the gospel writer John is speaking of the necessity of the cross. We know that all things come as a gift from above. We all know that it is only by the merits of Jesus Christ, His sacrifice on the cross, that gains us eternal life. And as our Reformation emphasis this year has been repeatedly saying, it's all about Jesus, right? It's not about Martin Luther. It's not about the Reformers. They were all best men. It's about Jesus. Our greatest joy comes from the fact that He was crucified, buried, and risen for our justification. We also find this word must in the Gospel of John in chapter 3, verse 7. Marvel not that I said to you, you must be born again. This puts us in mind of our greatest problem, that we are all sinners, that we were born in sin. We cannot save ourselves. The gift must come down from heaven, given to us. And this, is, of course, is accomplished through baptism, a reference to baptism. How we as Lutheran Christians are always reminding each other that you must, you must remember your baptism on a daily basis. Make the sign of the cross. Reminding that you are a child of God adopted into the Heavenly Father's family through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That remembrance of baptism brings us great, great joy. So therefore, it is the pastor's task to preach Christ crucified, to administer the sacraments, especially baptism. What he is doing thereby is that he is attaching you to your groom. Like the father walking down the aisle, he's, he's always constantly handing you over to Jesus. It brings pastors great joy to do that. And the more he increases, well, the more I decrease. Back in seminary a long time ago, one of my professors said in a class, he says, you, you future pastors, really, you're just a pair of shoulders. I didn't know what he meant by that. When I asked after class, he says, yeah, you, you stand there in the place of Christ, but you don't take the place of Christ. You're a pair of shoulders. Step out of the way. Oh, I get it. I think I get it. The focus is on Jesus, the focus in weddings, and something else pastors do a lot is, is the focus on funerals. 
as a younger pastor, I, I always thought it was a, a good thing, and it is. There's, there's a place for it that you've heard them in, in funeral sermons. A lot of time is spent talking about the person who died. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's that it's not really the most appropriate place in the divine service, is it? The focus should be on Christ. So as a younger pastor, I, I got to know this elderly couple in one of my congregations. Marshall Clayton was his name. His wife was Anne. They were in their uh, mid to upper 80s. They owned the local nursery. They had beautiful flowers and plants, and they would often just donate flowers to churches. They worked hard to give beauty to others. They were always at every, every single Bible study. He knew his Bible so well. I was so impressed and amazed at his biblical knowledge. They were humble. They were servants of God. And as they were getting, as Marshall was getting ready to enter the heavenly realms, I was already concocting a sermon in my mind. All the things I could say about Marshall. If anybody could get to heaven by his own good works, well. And about a week before he died, he was in bed. And after communion, he talked, he says, come here, Pastor, I want to tell you something. He says, I'm not long for this world. But you have to promise me one thing. You're going to promise me this. At my funeral, you are not going to say anything about me. I only want you to talk about Jesus Christ. It took me aback. This man gave me permission as his pastor to do what I'm supposed to do. You mean not to say a word about you? He says, no, don't you talk about me. You talk about Jesus and what Jesus has done for me. I want people to know at that funeral about Jesus. Not that Marshall was a great guy, because I'm not. I'm a sinner. Jesus was the perfect one. Talk about him. He gave me permission to finally preach a funeral sermon focused on Jesus. I mentioned his name only once in the sermon. And I talked about Jesus and what Jesus did for Marshall. Dear friends, it's, it, it's hard to seek humility. In fact, you can't do it. Nobody can seek humility. The more you try to seek it, the more it eludes you. Rather, we are to occupy ourselves with the one who is meek and who is lowly. We are to occupy ourselves with Christ as we become more like Him. And the more He increases, the more I decrease. There are reasons that we need to exalt Christ. They are given to us in the text today. It says in the text that Jesus was of heavenly origin. He's not born of the flesh like we are. 
It says in the text that Jesus knows everything. We have to be taught everything. We have to grow to understand things. It says that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity, as we learned last Sunday on Trinity Sunday. It says that to reject the Son is to reject the Father. It says that He is in full possession of the Holy Spirit, the full presence. He is equal to God the Father. He is equal to the Holy Spirit. Without measure, without limit, without boundaries. We are not. It says in the Scriptures, He has received all authority in heaven and on earth. It says also that He has given us all things from heaven. Why would we want to follow anybody else? You see, the one who has the bride also has the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom is the one who announces and hands off. Why is it mentioning the bridegroom's voice today? Why is John the baptizer greatly rejoicing at the bridegroom's voice? The voice crying of the one in the wilderness. The voice that gathers people. The voice that needs to be heard. It is the greater voice. It is the stronger voice. The sheep hear his voice. He calls them by their own name and he leads them out. The sheep follow him because they know the voice of their bridegroom. The joy of the bride is to become attached to her groom, her husband. And as we know in Ephesians 5, she will follow his voice because he is following his voice. The joy of marriage. The bridegroom has a bride because the bride has a voice and the bride knows the voice of her husband. She leaves John, she goes to Christ. John rejoices in the voice of the bridegroom, not just because the bridegroom's here, but because the voice gathers the bride and it gathers her precisely away from John, which is why he speaks these words, he must increase and I must decrease. It must be so. And so he says, over this I rejoice. And so in the end, it is not so strange, is it, that John the Baptist would see his bridegroom increase, to see all of his followers leave and turn to the bridegroom. This is the last time we hear John's voice. And soon his voice, that is publicly, soon his voice would be completely silenced when his head would be taken off by Herod. Even in this, he could accept, and even in this, he could say, my joy is complete. We don't turn to men. We don't put our hope in pastors. We put our hope only in Christ Jesus. We are turning to a Savior, a Lamb, a protector, a provider, a leader, like nobody you have ever known. So therefore, how can you not love him more 
than anybody else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now may the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard and keep your hearts and your minds in the one true faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.